Part ten of Beckside Lights by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lige's Legacy, Chapter three How the New Plate was Bought. There was no more work for poor Lige that day. He tried, but he found himself pausing every few moments, and in his still bent position, staring at the stones under his feet in set absorbed preoccupation before he had been at work half an hour he stopped and started for the clog shop once more and was soon laying before jabe some new aspect of the case after a while he returned to his employment but in a few minutes he was again in consultation with his friend this sort of thing was repeated three or four times as the day went on on one of these interviews just as Lige was returning to his work again, he suddenly turned back, and leaning his body over the counter until his mouth nearly touched the clogger's ear, he charged him in a thick dramatic whisper to keep the whole thing from th chaps, and especially from Sam Speck. As evening drew near, Lige's excitement became almost uncontrollable. He was afraid to stay at the clog shop, lest he should be compelled to confess his trouble to someone, and yet he was afraid to be alone and have to fight his mental conflicts by himself and somehow though he felt sure his friends would all advise him to let things alone he was more confident of his power to resist temptation when in company than when alone then he was afraid too that the chaps would by some means get the secret out of jabe or even out of long ben though he had much more confidence in the latter than in the former and so he wanted to be near at hand, that his presence might be a restraint on the clogger. Altogether, Lige was in a most restless state of mind, and throughout the early part of the evening was passing in and out of the clog shop every few minutes, one moment raising some new point with the clogger, and the next charging him by most solemn warnings not to let anybody even suspect what was the matter. Then he would be seen posting off in haste for home, which he never reached, and a few minutes later he would come hurrying up the hill with the inspiration of some totally new phase of the case within him. Strange to say, the peppery clogger bore it all with a patience that was quite remarkable, but the fact was, the problem so entirely absorbed his own thoughts, that he answered Lige's questions and instructions in a dazed mechanical sort of way. As the roadmender was stretching over the counter, and warning Jabe for at least the fifth time of the danger of letting Sam know anything about it, a sharp voice suddenly broke on his ear, and Lige, hastily straightening himself, turned round to face the very person he was speaking of. Lige made his face as straight as he could, and tried to look easy and unconcerned, but it was a complete failure. Sam saw instantly that something of very unusual interest was affecting his friend, and also that Lige was very anxious to conceal it from him. Sam promptly suggested a smook, and Lige was so afraid of crossing him that he agreed, and sat down to the first pipe he had tried that day. He perched himself for a few moments on a stool where he could keep his eye on both Sam and the clogger, and thus prevent any secret signalling between them. Presently, however, Sam drew him into conversation, and the two got gradually farther and farther into the ingle-nook, until the clogger could not hear what they were saying. Then they dropped their voices still lower, 
and jabe was tantalized by the feeling that the lowering of their voices meant the deepening of their interest in the subject under discussion of which he could not hear a word all at once however there was an amazed cry from out of the nook and sam could be seen standing up and looking excitedly from lige to jabe and from jabe back to lige as though he could not decide on which of them was the more demented then he began to laugh an ironical unbelieving sort of snigger give it up eh he cried i'm like as if i seed thee and then taking his breath for a moment and eyeing the road-mender slyly over he shook his head in a waggish sort of way saying as he did so eh lyger that's an owd brig too oh see now tells for it sighed lige ignoring sam's chafing tone and evidently very miserable sam whisked round in a manner expressive at once of impatience and intolerance of contradiction dunna may the mon what's thine's thine isn't it oh tell thee it isna mine it's hers an old robinth woman and now tells there was an exclamation from jabe at his bench and petulantly flinging down his tools he came and joined the others at the fire and for the next hour the whole question was threshed out again sam was incredulous then angry and abusive and finally he settled down into dogged unconvincible opposition declaring again and again that lige's proposed surrender of his fortin was fair flyneth face of providence jabe said comparatively little the crisis was beyond him he longed with all his heart to find some way of dealing with the matter less drastic than the extreme step of surrendering the whole property but all his efforts so far had been vain and so he listened to sam much more carefully than usual in the hope that he might be able to suggest something that would relieve the situation and sam when once he had become convinced that lige was serious certainly was ingenious in his suggestions though jabe was shocked to find how little scruple he seemed to have about the spirit of the moral law to every one of sam's ideas however lige opposed the same relentless answer and jabe never acknowledged truth more reluctantly than he did on this occasion when his conscience pulled one way and his interest in his friend the other presently the company began to assemble for the evening and it turned out to be perhaps the longest night ever spent round the clog shop fire everything was dull and flat so much so in fact that the more casual of the attenders moved homewards very early and by nine o'clock jabe and lige long ben and sam had the ingle nook to themselves to jabe the situation was fast becoming unbearable he marvelled at and secretly gloried in lige's uncompromising attitude but he felt somehow that the actual performance of this act of sacrifice was intolerable to him he was distressed also at the effect the struggle was having upon his old friend he looked aged and haggard the old wrinkles on his face seemed suddenly to have been reinforced by a number of new ones whilst the veins on his forehead stood out in alarming prominence under these circumstances he felt that lige ought to be taken care of by somebody he had not been really home all the day although he had started half a dozen times he had eaten nothing and if he went home to a cold house and then supperless to bed the consequences might be serious 
Jabe waited, therefore, until Ben had drawn the old roadmender into conversation, and then, taking Sam aside, he instructed him to go and spend the night with thou lad and any other nights possible whilst Lige remained in this disturbed condition. When Sam, who fell into the scheme, somewhat reluctantly, had coached Lige to go, Jabe and Ben leaned forward on their seats, with elbows on knees and arm-propped chins, discussing with an earnestness that was almost grim the crisis that had just arisen. When Jabe described the doggedness of Lige's adherence to his own view of the case, and the immovability of his purpose to carry out what he felt to be right, the two looked at each other with shining eyes, which expressed a sort of holy delight in their old friend, that no possible circumstance would have compelled them to acknowledge in words. "'I oh, wish we'd never heard of his plaguey fortin,' said Jabe at length, with a perplexed sigh. "'Aye,' was Ben's response. "'If he'd ne'er heard it, he'd ne'er a missed it. But it's hard work giving up all his little plans and schemes.' "'Aye, and he'll have to keep on working, too,' sighed Jabe. There was a long silence. The fire fell together, and they both turned abstractedly to look at it. Some internal commotion seemed to be going on in Ben, and at last, standing up and shaking his fist at Jabe as if he were Lige's cruel oppressor, he said, with a sudden, fierce gush of tears, "'He'll no work no more, fortin or no fortin.' Jabe sat glowering into the red fire with a look which was an emphatic endorsement of Ben's declaration. Ben stooped for a clog-chip and relighted his pipe, and then he said, "'It'll be hard work, giving up his new ass and all things he were going to do.' "'Ah, mon,' answered the clogger, "'it's no that he's bothering about. It's the communion plate. He thinks more of that than all t'other put together.' "'Go believe thee, lad,' murmured Ben, after musing on the information for a minute. Another long silence ensued and after a while Jabe, who was unusually subdued for him, knitted his brows, and looking up at his friend, asked, "'Well, is there now what we can do?' "'We might get the lawyer's opinion about it,' said Ben tentatively. "'No, no. You've known where you begin with them chaps, but you've never known where you stop.' "'Well,' sighed Ben presently, "'or can think of nowt else.' "'No,' said Jabe disappointedly. That's like thee. Thou can think fast enough if it's ony lumber thou'rt up to. But thou can think a nowt when thou'rt wanted. Ben, as a rule, took no heed to his friend's railings. But to-night, chafing under a sense of powerlessness, he answered somewhat sharply. Well, thee think o' summat then. Aye, snarled the clogger. Me, again. I've ony lot o' numbeds you'd be bout me. Ben sighed again slowly knocked the ash out of his pipe, and said as he rose to go, "'Here's no but one thing left as all can see.' "'What's that?' asked Jabe, subdued again by Ben's grave tone. "'Thou book,' says, "'as unto the righteous there ariseth light in th' darkness, "'and we ain't getting to wait till it does.' And with another sigh, Ben sauntered off home. The clogging business suffered during the next three days. Jabe found it simply impossible to give his mind to his work. To make matters worse, Lige, after two or three attempts, 
had given up the idea of working until some settlement was arrived at, and wandered in and out of the clog shop all day long, alternately anathematising a fate that compelled him to make so momentous a decision, and praying under his breath for divine guidance. Sam Speck, in his character as Lige's keeper, scarcely ever left him, and kept up also a persistent assault on the position Lige had taken up on the question of his inheritance. To Sam that position was simply ridiculous. If the money was properly and legally left to him, what right had he to bother any further about it? And as for Lige's notion that Jane Ann, the leech woman, was the rightful owner, Sam simply laughed at it. Way mon, torn off the brassith country, had at a swap house, if thought were the way of doing it. A some sense, mon, that going dateless. As for Lige, it was simply pitiable to see him. He forgot his half-weekly shave. His face wore a worried, almost haunted look, and his eyes were faded and watery in the morning, and bright and restless in the evening. Every few hours the arguments pro and con were rehearsed again by himself and some one or other of those in the secret, but always with the same result, and the clogger grew peevish under the continued strain. Every night since the discovery of Lige's dilemma, the four who knew of it remained behind after the others had gone, and went over the whole question again from beginning to end, but with a disheartening lack of definite results. "'I'll tell thee what it is,' cried Sam Speck, at the close of one of his many attacks upon Lige's position. "'It's now tells but a judgment on her. "'Who turned up her nose at thee? "'I wouldn't have thee at any price. "'Well, who's cut her own throttle, and sarve her eat?' "'This certainly was a new idea, "'and Jabe and Ben were inclined to see something in it, "'but Lige only shook his head and groaned. "'Who's his doubter?' and whatever who does gonna make her anybody else's doubter and with a face of deepening gloom he bent over the fire as if he were cold but the idea had set long ben thinking and after a more or less sleepless night he was at the clog shop before jabe had finished his breakfast with at any rate a gleam of light in his mind now jabe had felt from the beginning that if ever a solution of the difficulty was reached it would have to come from ben and so he sat up in his armchair in the parlour and set his loose leg a-going in eager anticipation the moment he set his eyes on the carpenter we well, think we star in began ben trying to look easy and glancing carelessly through the parlour window let it rain exclaimed jabe impatiently what dost want nah we're no but wondering whether we met square this thing and Ben put his hands behind him and turned his back to the fire. "'Go on,' rasped out Jabe, scarcely able to contain himself. "'Lige will be here in a jiffy.' Ben glanced out of the window again, looked demurely round the room, and then said, "'Thou knows Jane Ann, dost na? "'Aye, what be that?' And the clogger looked as though he would have liked to drag the slowly flowing words out of Ben's hesitating mouth. "'Is who a decent woman, dost think?' was Ben's next venture. "'Aye, who's right enough? Go on, man, what art driving at?' And Jabe's short leg was riding up and down with frantic excitement. Ben looked round the house again, rolled his carpenter's apron round his waist and proceeded. "'He's promised not to speak about it for a week, hasn't he?' 
well well and jabe had to seize hold of the chair arms to keep down his irritation at ben's deliberateness if oo could be gettin to hev him a fourth week's art jabe jumped to his feet with a shout and giving ben a push which nearly caused him to sit down on the parlour fire he cried by gum that's gittin it lad then he stood back and was evidently thinking rapidly hold on he cried suddenly raising his hand as if he were signalling who'd happen throw him o'er when oo geet out o' th brass what when oo knowed what he'd done for her beside we met happen guard again that ah by axin if oo'd out again him but his poverty and what then well if oo hadna we met tell her as he's better off nor he used to be the clogger eyed ben over with an eager gloating sort of look and then slapping him on the shoulder he broke through the principles of a lifetime by giving expression to feelings of unfeigned and proud admiration of his friend ben thou licks owd scratch for schemin thou does for sure but though this was ben's plan in outline there were details wherein he saw possible difficulties and so sitting down he and jabe went over them one by one enlarging and perfecting the scheme when mun we start asked ben at last the sooner the better was the emphatic reply then thou'd better bike off to-day me me go what the ferrups art talking about ben well thou knows her and aw done her but aw'm an owd bachelor aw know nowt about women and aw dunnot want to do no other that maddlet mon but ben stuck to his point and it soon began to be clear that there was no other way out of the difficulty jabe at first refused peremptorily he stormed he called ben all the usual names of opprobrium and invented several new ones for the occasion lige's fortune might go to hanover for him and he got angrier and angrier as the inevitableness of ben's suggestion became clearer to him ben relying on his old friend's strong attachment to lige and his general willingness to help anyone in need held quietly to his point and at last after the longest and toughest struggle these two old gladiators had ever had together ben departed leaving jabe vowing more vociferously than ever that he would not go a yard but feeling certain all the same that he would go and sure enough early in the afternoon of that same day the trees and hedges along the lanes to the halfpenny gate beheld the fierce woman-hating old clogger limping doggedly along on an errand of love and he who never courted fair woman for himself was actually going a-wooing for another the details of that memorable interview have never been fully divulged by either of the parties who shared it but sufficient is known for the purposes of this story jane ann received jabe quite effusively and though they were but slightly acquainted insisted on his having tea with her jabe persistently declared his inability to stay as was the proper thing to do in the clough and several times tried to bring round the conversation to the subject of his visit but lige seemed so unimportant a person to the leech woman in comparison with her present guest that she could not be induced to talk about him and was demonstrative enough in her attentions to make the clogger feel uneasy and suspicious 
when tea-time came jabe had not even mentioned his real business and so was compelled in spite of himself to accept jane ann's most pressing invitation and he sat at the table in a state of nervous apprehension lest someone should suddenly open the door and find him in this most compromising position towards the end of the meal he managed to introduce abram howarth's name and discovered that his hostess knew all about the matter she seemed strangely unconcerned about it jabe thought and even then he could obtain no clue as to her feelings about poor lige what the clogger suffered in the interest of his friend that day will never be known but presently excited and afraid for himself and anxious to get the interview over but dodged and eluded by jane ann at every turn he eventually grew desperate and blurted out the whole truth and threw himself and his friend on the lady's mercy the leech-keeper suddenly became very quiet and hurried into the back yard to feed the hens she said but really to conceal very genuine emotion and to collect her thoughts when she came back her manner towards the clogger had undergone a decided change and she raised no objection to his proposed departure jabe was not quite satisfied for though the lady now seemed willing and almost eager to see lige she would give no promise as to how she would treat him and absolutely refused to bind herself in any way at the same time as jabe seemed so anxious she allowed him to conclude that the road-mender would not suffer by being left in her hands the expedition was not wholly satisfactory jabe mused as he went home and long ben's mode of receiving his account of it tended to confirm this impression but there was nothing for it now but to go on with the scheme and the next question was how they were to deal with lige this proved by no means an easy problem but at last they decided that whilst concealing jabe's visit from him they would persuade him to go and see jane ann first instead of the lawyer and they would for his own sake encourage him to act as soon as the week's grace was up lige was surprised and suspicious when that very evening they put on an air of reluctant resignation as if already accepting the inevitable and he began to feel very lonely as he found them disposed to push him on in his resolution instead of trying to dissuade him as heretofore for some time he held out resolutely against going to see jane ann at all and declared he would hand everything over to the lawyer and i done wi it but eventually the dexterously managed pressure of his friends prevailed and the course they recommended was decided upon two days yet remained of the terrible week and the way lige seemed to be suffering as the time drew nearer made jabe and ben feel very guilty whilst at the same time it gave encouragement to sam to think that his arguments were prevailing of course sam knew nothing of jabe's visit to the halfpenny gate and jabe and the carpenter found his ignorance very useful to their scheme all morning on the day after the expiration of the week lige sat groaning and sighing over the clog-shop fire wishing he had never been born and denouncing the departed abram as if he had done him some deadly injury he seemed to grow more settled towards noon and having dined at the clog-shop he hurriedly started off home and half an hour afterwards carefully dressed and wearing once more jonas's blacks he made his way on his fateful errand he went very slowly and stopped and talked to himself 
and prayed in the quiet lanes but at length he dragged his reluctant legs to the cottage of his lady love and knocked and entered without waiting for permission well how art a wench he asked in a low sad voice that failed to conceal his agitation jane ann was ironing and glancing carelessly up she answered i'm right enough lige was trembling now but jane ann didn't appear to notice neither did she ask him to sit down and so from sheer weakness he moved towards a chair and dripping into it faltered faintly oh I want to speak to thee jane ann then dunna oh tow thee afore and i mean it lige's pale face became as shy as he answered it's no that wench this time i've come to speak about thee feyther there's no need thou can tell me nowt good about him thou knows as he's deed i reckon ay and the tone of the admission sounded as if she were reluctant to admit even so much dost know who he left his brass to ay and jane ann went to change her flat iron at the fire showing by her whole manner that she wished him to understand that the subject was distasteful to her but lige was in it now and intended to make an end well it's no mine the nose it's thine he said leaning forward on his stick it is na mine i shan have it but thou mun have it thou art have it and lige became momentarily quite aggressive shall o and jane ann tossed her head defiantly and began to rub her flat iron on the smoothing blanket there was silence for a moment for lige was quite nonplussed at last he said coaxingly jane ann it is the my fault as he left it to me i knew nowt about it to left the reward aid who said it were well tak it then wilter then jane ann wheeled round and looking lige steadily in the face said holding the iron away from her lige haworth was never tak a hopenny on it if thou talks till judgment day so there lige was amazed and distressed and all the more so as he felt the old adam in him rejoicing over jane ann's obstinacy he sat looking at the flat irons in the bars of the fire for some time and then he asked hesitantly as if ashamed of the suggestion well we'll tak the hope on it i tell thee or win a tack of fardin there was another uncomfortable pause and then lige ventured wilt tack them two arses at the bottom of the gate yond then jane ann seemed really angry and replied oh, i've towed thee once for all oh stand out and if that conna be said thou'd better be shuntin lige was abashed he sat for a long time trying to think of something else to propose but as nothing came he rose reluctantly to leave saying as he did so well o'er be goin but o'er gi thee a fortnit to think about it and then o'er come again if that gives me twenty year it'll make no difference and jane ann rubbed resolutely at her ironing cloth lige moved slowly to the door unwilling to go but afraid to stay he was just raising the latch and clearing his throat for a last word when jane ann with a face hot with ironing and perhaps also with something else bent low over her work and said more softly than she had yet spoken 
Liger. What? There's one thing, Olev, if thou lacks me. Lige brightened up and turned back into the house again and asked eagerly, What's that? Thee. There is really no more to be told. Lige the roadmender had never had any attractions for Jane Ann, and Lige, her father's heir and her supplanter, had become an object of aversion. But the Lige whose simple honesty and rare conscientiousness had prompted him to make so great a sacrifice for justice and righteousness' sake became suddenly very noble in her eyes. And the roadmender went back to Beckside and accepted suitor and a very happy man. And the first business of Jane Ann after she came to Beckside to live was to order the new communion plate for the chapel. End of part 10 End of Lige's Legacy